This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
when I'm catching my breath here, um, I would like to just uh, recognize a, a new couple here for the very first time on a, on a Sunday morning. Would you please make welcome Mr. and Mrs. Hans Miller. Stand up, guys. Just fresh back from their honeymoon. And so congratulations to you and to both families. Open your Bibles, please, to Book of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. And that will just be the launching point. And uh, you can also see in your, in your bulletin, there are a couple of other scriptures that you might want to be finding as well. Just a, a question for you here, and it's a rhetorical question, so you don't really have to answer, but I don't know, have you ever forgotten and left milk outside of the refrigerator for a few days? Uh, yeah, go ahead and answer. Anybody ever done that? I mean, you put it in the cabinet or something like that. Yeah, I see a few hands. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know that there are some real people that are honest here. Um, back when Jace was a baby, he had a bottle that had been missing for several weeks. And we'd looked high and low for it and couldn't find it. Well, it, finally it was found. And, and in fact, it was found by Jace and somebody, and I'm sure it was him, had, had put it in a box. And when he found it as a little baby, predictably, you know what he did. He popped it in his mouth. The next few seconds were priceless. I mean, you've seen those videos of babies when they take their first bites of peas or, or something nasty like that, and, and they will shake and shudder, and, and that's what Jace did, and, and he shook and he shuddered, and for the next five or ten seconds, he would just about throw up and then get control of himself and then shake and shudder and, and gag again. And that, that curdled milk that had been out three weeks or so didn't taste very good to him. Or... What would happen if we left some spaghetti and meatballs out for three weeks? Or chicken salad? Well, they would rot and probably grow hair more than most of us guys have here this morning, or at least some of us. And and it would develop this toxic taste and smell. Now you're saying, where are you going with this, Trussell? Well, um, we're talking about this because the sin that we want to discuss today is a sin that's so bad. It's so nasty that the Bible says it causes our bones to rot. Let's uh, set up our lesson today with a little bit of crowd participation. And, And these are not trick questions to shame or embarrass you, so just be honest. How many of you know somebody that, at least from your perspective, has a dream job? And, and if it were possible, uh, you would trade jobs with them in a heartbeat. Anybody? Just, just be honest. I know some of you are thinking that you would love to trade jobs with me because I only work one day a week. I'm sorry, the church called me for another seven years, so you're going to have to wait seven years for that. Um, but I'm sure that there, there are those of us that we think, and I think of some of you, honestly, I think of some of you, yeah, you, you may work more than one day a week, but man, I'd love to have your job. And when you get home, you don't have to worry about your job. And, and we all, I, I think, uh, can come up with those jobs that we would like to have. Uh, next question. How many of you have driven around and you found that house that at least from the outside seemed to be that nearly perfect house that you would love to have? And 
you know, uh, again, I think we've all been there. When I go to Colorado, I, I, I see a bunch of those houses. Uh, they're log houses that are, are my dream house. Another question. How many of you have seen someone that at least in your mind has the perfect hair? Anybody? And, and you would trade your hair for theirs. And I know some of you guys, Dick, I know you're thinking this. Uh, uh, you just like to have hair, period, even if it's bad hair. It was kind of funny. Um, last Sunday, and I don't know where you are, Jeremy, but uh, you're back there someplace. Uh, but uh, Jeremy Oring told me with a great deal of consternation that he had found a gray hair, gray hair in his beautiful black head of hair. And, and I felt so sorry for him. I just dropped down on my knees and started praying for him. But... <laughs> No, not really. But, but here's what I did. I popped off and, and I said, well, Jeremy, I'm just the opposite. The other day I was pretty excited because I found one lone black hair in my head of gray hair. But I said the problem was that black hair was growing out of my ear. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's way too much information for Sunday morning. Remember those seven years? Probably I'm down to seven minutes before I get fired. But anyway, I, I think that at times we... We all get involved in wishing that we were in someone else's situation. That's human nature. But where the problem comes in is when we begin spending our time dwelling on what other people have and what we don't have. And when that happens, we can easily be sucked into the very dangerous sin of envy. And, and, and let me just say this. I know that envy is kind of a strange topic to deal with out of the clear blue here. We've been talking about spiritual renewal and and, and I was actually going to go that direction this week, uh, an, another topic, but I, I just kind of felt a drastic shift into this topic because maybe I, uh, maybe the reason is that envy or what we've referred to as green-eyed envy is one of the major sins in the church. And, uh, and one of the big problems with envy is that it multiplies into other sins because when we envy what other people have, then we fail to be grateful for our blessings, which is the sin of ingratitude. When we envy what other people have, then many times we become jealous of them. That's the sin of jealousy. When we envy what other people have, we get into a mode of trying to keep up with them, and that brings on the sin of materialism. When we envy what other people have, we become negative about our situation, which leads to negativity. And so I would really encourage you to listen here because I have a feeling this will touch every one of us. Let's read our foundational scripture. It's very, very short. Proverbs 14.30 from the NIV. It reads like this. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Let's first of all establish a definition of envy. And, and there are two parts to this definition. First of all, envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives. It's an attitude that says, it's not fair that they get all the breaks. It's not fair that they can always get the newest model of everything. I work just as hard as they do. I'm just as smart as they are. I'm just as capable as they are. Yet I struggle and they don't. Not fair. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives. Here's the second part of the definition of envy. It is ignoring God's goodness in our own lives. 
You know, when we fix our eyes on what other people have, then it becomes very difficult to see the blessings that God has given to us personally. And we see envy illustrated in such a powerful way in the Old Testament book of Esther. And we don't have time to get into a lot of background here, but a man named Haman had left, just left the banquet and the king had promoted him to high position. So he gathered his friends and family together. And let's see what he said here in Esther chapter 5 verse 11. It says, and, and he boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. He bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted all over all the other officials and leaders. Then Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And, and she's invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Now, let me just stop here before I finish another, read another verse or two. You would think that Haman would be totally happy. He had wealth. He had prestige. He had been honored by the king and the queen. But look at this next verse, verse 13. Then he added, but all this, all what? Well, the wealth, honor, prestige is meaningless as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. So Haman had all he could ever want, but he couldn't enjoy it because of his envy towards one man named Mordecai. And let's be honest, that's, that's the way that a lot of us live. Most of us have a comfortable home, we have a decent car, we have plenty of friends, but because someone else has more than we have, or they have something we want... Many times we can't enjoy what we have. And the result is they're always living for something around the corner. Well, this morning, let's first of all look at two common problems with envy. And the first problem is that envy destroys relationships. And one of the clearest examples of this is found in Genesis chapter 4. And, and you have the story of two brothers named Cain and Abel. And, and if you know the story, Abel made a sacrifice to the Lord that God deemed as acceptable and it was a sacrifice of an animal and, and God had instructed the people that that was the type of sacrifice that was acceptable to him. Understand that thousands of years ago, God was already building into the hearts and the minds of people that without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. And of course, that's pointing to when Jesus would shed his precious blood. Now, Cain, on the other hand, tried to do things his own way. And so he brought as his sacrifice some of the produce from his fields. And, and I'm sure it was more beautiful than a bloody animal. But God rejected his sacrifice because that was in direct disobedience to his command. You know, when, when God gives us instructions in the Bible, you can't improve on those instructions. Don't go around trying to find a better way. Don't go around trying to cut corners. God's way is best. Well, when God rejected Cain's sacrifice, all of a sudden Cain began to envy Abel standing with God and, and the relationship between the two brothers went downhill so much so that one day Cain took the life of his own brother Abel. Now, I think all of us here this morning would say, well, I would never kill anybody over envy. Maybe not physically. But the most common way that we kill people is by killing their reputation character assassination we talk about them behind their backs envy destroys relationships let me uh let me just lower my voice a little bit here you know in school teachers are now supposed to speak softly when they're saying something very significant to their students it used to be that louder was more authoritative louder was better 
Um, and, and some of us parents perfected that art of being loud when we get after our kids. But now they say you're supposed to speak softly. And so let me just do that this morning. If you're at odds with somebody, and that means you have hurt feelings towards them, and you can't have a civil conversation, and you have to walk away or turn your head when they come around, if that's you, now is the time to clean and clear that out of your life. You say, well, you don't know how badly they hurt me. No, no, I don't. But, but I doubt that they hurt you as much as those people hurt Jesus the day that they crucified him. Yet Jesus said, forgive them. Secondly, envy makes you miserable. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 1 illustrates that for us. Rachel, who was unable to get pregnant, said this. Uh, when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children, she became jealous of her sister. Give me children or I'll die, she exclaimed to Jacob. And, 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 and hear me out. I want to be sensitive to those here who maybe are unable to have children. And, and knowing, just knowing how much joy and, and, and some frustration, but mainly joy that our children have given us. I can't fathom the emptiness of not being able to have children, and my heart goes out to you. So I'm not being insensitive here, but, but Rachel came to the point to where she had allowed envy to make her entire life miserable, and, and she basically hated anybody that could have kids. Envy will make your life miserable. This week I thought back a whole bunch of years ago when I was growing up on the farm in Arkansas, and during my high school years I had saved up my money and, and bought a motorcycle and it wasn't a new bike but it looked new and I was proud of it as if it were new and, and the bike was a little Honda road bike 200 cc now that motorcycle Ernie it was my baby um, I would keep it shined up and I took so much pride in that little blue bike and 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 the biggest downside to the bike is that it didn't have much speed to it you know if it were going downhill I could sometimes hit 70 miles an hour and if the wind were to my back, I might even be able to hit 75 to 77, but that was it. And another kid had, a friend of mine, he had a 175, and we would race. And, and I would try to squeeze an extra mile or two out of it by crouching way down. And, uh, but I knew the limits of, of, of that bike. Now, I, I know in some of you that have big bikes, uh, it, it's hard to be cool on a little motorcycle like that. But I tried hard, and I think I got there once in a while. Uh, now, now the pipes weren't loud, much to my dismay. They, they, they were just quiet as a mouse, and you could hardly hear that bike run. But, but I pretended that it had loud pipes on it. I, I, I did, and and so when I would slow, I, I would slow down coming up to a stop sign, and, and I would downshift through all of the gears. And before downshifting, I would rev it up each time. I wanted people to know that I was cool. And then when I took off after that stop sign, man, I would get those RPMs up and I would pop it into the next gear. And, and even though you could barely hear it yet, in my mind it was loud, just like a Harley. I love my bike. And I ruled and I reigned in my neighborhood. And since we lived in the country and there were no houses close by, I was king of the neighborhood. And then as I would drive into civilization on my Honda 200, I, I could just imagine saying, boy, there goes Joe Trussell. <laughs> On his Harley, he's the coolest kid around. You know, how high schoolers, you know, we imagine that kind of stuff. And life was good until some of my friends got a bigger bike. Bikes that were faster and louder. 
And then all of a sudden I wasn't so happy with my bike anymore. And, and my bike that in my mind had been as good as a Harley now became a Hardly. <laughs> I couldn't stand how slow and quiet the bike was. And I might as well have been bebopping around on a moped. And isn't it funny how happy I was until someone got something bigger and better and faster and louder? Envy makes you miserable. And it's a sin that most of us won't acknowledge in our lives. But the truth is that almost all of us struggle with envy in some form. Well, not only do we want to look at two common problems with envy, but envy, but now let's look at two best friends of envy. And these are friends that feed the sin of envy. The first is the sin of comparing. Now, in our American culture, we're conditioned to compare, and it starts during our childhood. Kids say, well, what'd you get for Christmas? Well, I got this, and, and you only got that. Well, what'd you make on the test? Well, I made this, and, and you only made that. Uh, we, we say, uh, you have an iPhone? Which one? Well, it's the 6. Well, I have the 7S. And then as you get a little bit older, you got a new car. Yeah, what year? It was a 2012. Well, I just got a 2013. Well, remember the days of my daddy can beat up your daddy? And then uh, someone had a comeback. Oh, yeah, my mama can beat up your daddy. <laughs> and then we as parents are, are the worst. We put bumper stickers on our car. You know, my child is an honor student at such and such a school. And then, of course, someone came up with a, you know, with, with a child that wasn't gifted academically, got tired of seeing those bumper stickers and came up with one that said, my child beat up your honor student. And this is a true story. Someone came up with another bumper sticker that said, my child is the inmate of the month at such and such a jail. And then probably the very worst people to make comparisons are grandparents. We think our grandkid is the most advanced in the history of mankind. And, oh, your grandkid said this. Well, mine said this. And, and your grandkid did this. Well, mine did this. You know, we always one-up them and and we plaster their pictures everywhere, put all of their exploits on Facebook. And, and, and here's the truth. I want, I, I want to get serious for just a moment. Even though my grandchildren are exceptional and incredibly smart and witty, yet I have no business comparing them to your grandchildren and, and making you feel badly that they don't measure up to mine. It's just not right for me to do that. Some of you are a little slow this morning. And along this line of, of one-upping, there are some people and, and some people in this church that cannot listen to a story without it reminding them of a story of their sister or niece or nephew or grandchild. And, and they will almost, they can hardly wait to tell their story. So listen up here. I'm going to lower my voice again. Let's be better listeners. We don't always have to share a story, even if it might be more impressive than the story we just heard. You know, sometimes it's best to just zip it and let someone else have the last word. Amen? Do I need to repeat that paragraph? The sin of comparing feeds the sin of envy. 
And we see this so vividly in the life of King Saul in the Old Testament. He was a guy that had it all. He was good-looking. He was strong. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. But his life began spiraling downward when he began to envy an up-and-coming young man by the name of David. Now, now David had proved to, uh, proven himself to be a very gifted and mighty warrior. And, and it seemed that every battle that David fought ended up with a victory. And let me read to you what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. But something happened when the victorious Israelite army was returning home. After David had killed Goliath, women came out from all the towns along the way to celebrate and to cheer for King Saul. And they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. Did you catch that? Women. You know, there's something about a man. He wants the approval of a woman. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. But then listen to what they sang next. And David, his ten thousands. And Scripture says this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept, kept a jealous eye on David. You know, and from that time on, Saul took his eye off of God because of envy put his eyes on David and that destroyed his life here's a question that I would like for you to honestly ask of yourself with whom do you most frequently compare yourself with whom do you most often compare yourself you know for me I have a tendency to compare myself with other pastors and other churches, which is an incredibly dangerous thing to do. Because if I come to the conclusion that I think God's work here at this church is better than at another church, then that leads me to pride. But then after comparing, I say, well, they have a bigger church and a nicer church, and, and he's more talented than I am, then that can lead to the sin of envy. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no good thing that comes from comparing. You know what? You can do some things better than I can. I can do some things better than you can. And let's trust God with the package that He's given us. He's given us gifts and skills. Every one of us. Let's trust God with that. So, with whom do you most often compare yourself? And it could be somebody at work. Maybe they don't work as hard as you do. And maybe they push their 60-minute lunch break into 90 minutes. And you never do that. And besides, they take smoke breaks throughout the day. And, and the boss likes them and caters to them. And, and, and thinking about it just about drives you crazy. Or, or, or maybe you liked your car until somebody else got a newer car with heated seats and an onboard GPS system so they can find their way around Eldorado Springs. You know, turn left on 54, turn right on Main, and, and you could really get lost here in Eldo without it. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you shouldn't mention this in church, but maybe you compare bodies. And, and you ladies say, I'm so sick and tired of her. She prances her little petite body around, and she can eat a large pizza and still wear a size 2, and and maybe, you know, in your mind, you're thinking you can't wait until turns 30 and where's that large pizza in her backside or whatever, you know. Sometimes there's just that, that, that thought. And, 
Or maybe you're satisfied with your house until a friend of yours buys a nicer one and all of a sudden you're no longer satisfied. Know that comparing feeds envy. The second of envy's best friends is the sin of complaining. And the Bible speaks very directly to this sin in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Have you ever paid attention to how much you complain? I have to be honest, and I catch myself complaining way too much. I complain about how members aren't faithful. I'm sure it's not about any of you. I complain about a lack of commitment from people. I, I complain about people who only want to come and sit on a Sunday morning, but they don't want to get involved. And I'm just being honest with you, and I pray that God would help me with that. But what do you complain about the most? Kitchen's not big enough, or you can't stand your job, or you complain about your co-workers or your boss, or you complain about something in church, you know, too hot, too cold, too loud, too shallow, too deep, too showy. Or what do you most often complain about? Do you realize that the, most of the things we complain about are pretty small issues? Do you realize that? I heard a, a true story of a pastor and his wife who were going through what the pastor thought was a tough time and his wife was on bed rest before the birth of one of their children and, and it was so hard for her to lay still day and night and, and then that pastor had to be Mr. Mom and do laundry and cook besides attend to the duties of the church and, and so one time he said, "Hun, this is a tough season we're going through right now and it's going to get better and she looked at him and said, would you quit complaining? She said, there's nothing tough about this season. Tough is an eight-year-old child with brain cancer. She said, tough is a five-week-old baby that just passed away. She said, tough is a lady whose husband just left her with all the kids and she has no job. Tough isn't. She went through a whole list of things and that pastor just stopped there dead silent because she was right. You know, most of us don't know what tough is. Tough is, is not having to drive a 10-year-old car instead of a brand new one. Tough is, is not having to put up with a small kitchen. Tough is not having to endure 15-year-old furniture. Tough is not having to wear Walmart clothes instead of name brand clothes. I mean, some of us think those are name brand anyway, but... <laughs> tough is not having to get water at a restaurant instead of a soft drink to be able to make the budget work. Tough is not having to wear a jacket or sweater in church because it's too cold. Tough is not having to fan in church because it's too hot. Tough is not having to watch your ball games on a 21-inch box-style TV instead of a 60-inch flat screen. Tough is not having to put up with an antenna instead of having cable. Tough is not having to put up with a flip phone instead of having a smartphone. Tough is not when someone says something that hurts your feelings. That's not tough. Tough is when... Steve Banks loses his beloved wife, Donnie, at a young age. Tough is telling the parents of those three young people a few years ago that their child had just died in an accident. Tough is watching little Laney Watkins die of cancer. Tough is Diet losing 
both her son and husband in a matter of a couple of months. Tough is watching a loved one waste away to Alzheimer's. That's tough. Most of us do not know what tough is, and, and we complain over things that are so insignificant. And Paul said this in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And, and are you ready for it? Here's the secret of being content. And this is a verse that has been taken out of context more than any other verse. Here's the secret of being content. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And please listen to me. This verse should not be quoted to say that you can do anything. You know, sometimes we quote this verse when someone is nervous about doing something and, and, and we quote them that verse saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But the context of this verse refers to whether or not we have plenty or we are in need, God gives us the strength. And so, what do I do when I, when I find myself on a negative track? Well, I need to grab those thoughts and replace them with the thoughts that are pure and lovely and admirable and excellent. And how does that play out? Well, the next time you want to say, well, my house is just too small, grab that thought, take a captive, and instead say, thank you, God, that I've got a house. And if you've got air conditioning in your house and it's hot outside, thank God that the AC works in your house. And the next time you pull up to the gas pump and you say, dear God, the price of gasoline is so high, stop. Take that thought captive and say, God, Thank you that I'm in the wealthiest 3% of the people living on the planet Earth. And you've given me transportation to get from one place to another. And I thank you for that. The next time you walk into your house and there's a mess and you're about ready to blow a gasket because your kids or your husband or your wife left stuff laying around, stop and say, thank you, God, that you've given me a family and they're healthy. The next time you say, I hate my job, grab that thought. Thank you, God, you've given me a job that meets my needs. The next time you want to say, well, our church is... Stop. Thank you, God, that while this church isn't perfect, yet the name of Christ is exalted here. And looking at you this morning, there are some of you, you are amazingly godly people. And I thank God for you. The next time your cat runs away from home, say, thank you, God, you're good all the time. <laughs> Sorry, Sherry. Will you forgive me? You know, Paul says, <laughs> Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. And, and the secret is this. The moment I have everything I need to do the will of God, I lack nothing. As we wrap things up, maybe you've been on a search for meaning and significance and you've tried material things and you've gotten more and bigger and faster and better things, but you woke up one day and realized I'm still empty. You know this. The problem is you can't find meaning and lasting significance in the things of this world. That's why God in His love and His mercy, He did something for you that you were incapable of doing for yourself. He sent His Son, Jesus. He became a human being. And Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross. He, he shed innocent blood. 
so we could experience new life. And so, you know, this summer, I, I, I think summer is probably worse for the sin of envy, you know, because people take cruises, they take vacations, they get this and that. And, and so I think sometimes we have a tendency to be more envious during the summer months. Could we just develop a spirit of gratitude? Thank you, Lord, for what, what we have. Thank you for what you've given us. And the next time you go to compare, stop it. You're going to find somebody better than you. That'll make you feel low. You're going to find someone worse than you. That'll create pride. Stop it. Next time you go to complain, remember, you're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people on planet Earth. Thank God for His manifold, bountiful blessings to you. Lord, I, uh, you've given us so much as Americans and we don't deserve, we don't deserve the blessings, but we certainly need them. And I pray, God, that you would just help us throughout this summer that we would have grateful hearts. Lord, if we have envy, your, your word says that that rots the bones. Lord, we know what rotten food is like. It's nasty. And Lord, I think in your sight, when there's envy within us, it's nasty to you because it changes us. It, it causes us to get involved in other sins and gratitude and jealousy and negativity. And, and so, Lord, I just pray that, um, I just pray that today you would help us to be content. Lord, let us uh, be satisfied. And it doesn't mean that we can't try to better ourselves. It doesn't mean that we can't make, try to make more money or do better or buy new things. Lord, that's not it at all. That's not what I'm saying. But, Father, there wouldn't be that, that spirit that puts so much emphasis on things to where if we don't have them, we're a mess. If we do have them, then we're happy. Lord, I pray that you would just give us a, a spirit of, of contentment today. And God, that we would be grateful when other people get things that are better than what we have. That we would be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're pretty good about weeping with those who weep. But when it comes to rejoicing with those who rejoice, especially if they got something better than we have, it's really tough to rejoice and we tend to be jealous. But I pray that not only would we weep with those who weep, but we would be able to be glad when other people are glad. So Lord, let us be your people. Help us to be people of God that love you, that love each other. And Lord, that love a lost world enough to where we will go and do something about it. Lord, send us out here this morning as missionaries. Let us be aggressive bringing salt and light to a community that needs Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' precious, holy name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed. 
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.